This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Digital and Visual Literacy at Agnes Scott College. Welcome to the Digital Breakdown. I'm your host, Cy Williams, and that lovely voice you heard at the beginning of the podcast, that's my co-worker, Anastasia Owen. In this bi-weekly podcast, guests and I will discuss the past, the present, and the future of navigating a digital world. Welcome to part two of Fight the Power. In the previous part, we deconstructed the term digital activism and the many forms it can come in. In the second part, we dive deeper into how amateur versus more seasoned activists utilize the digital, and if we feel qualified, they call ourselves digital activists. I guess a more like direct question that I have for both of you about specifically the Black Lives Matter movement is what have you done that you feel has had the most impact on the collective movement? If you don't feel like you've done anything that has made a impact, why is that? So for me, I'm a member of three organizations, the 100 Black Women, NAACP, and my sorority. And in the 100 Black Women and in my sorority, individually, I work with, in 100 Black Women, I work with a group of high school students. And with my sorority, I've been working with students who are middle school age. So they're typically age 11 to 13. And I know you all probably remember when I took this group to see The Hate You Give um, a while ago, see that movie. But I also took the older students to march. About five years ago, we went to march in Marietta in the King Day March. And in both of these completely different organizations, completely different group of young women, we had conversations about Black Lives Matter and what they can do and how they can be a part of it and providing context around person who cannot vote. So most of these students cannot vote. They want to know how can I be a part of stopping police brutality and, and things like that. So at this age, it's making them aware when it's age appropriate. And so once they're aware, like I said, then we go on to the education part. But The most profound thing I think that I have been able to do personally in those organizations, and I don't typically share that with anybody that I'm a part of those organizations because I do compartmentalize that part of my life. But I think the most important thing that I've been able to do in that area is to help students and children who've been minoritized feel empowered. And if they feel powerless, they will typically not, when they get of age, be moved to action. So I think I can get up those baby steps. It's in, my dad used to call it, be a a drop and be a ripple in a big pond or a big ocean, but it matters. So the way I have approached it, because I'm an educator at heart, is to help students, educate students, help them be empowered. When they look in the mirror as a black, brown, or marginalized person, be able to say, I matter. I'm important. This is why. And I do when I get old enough and I'm able to make my own decisions. I do want to be a person of action because I see all these adults around me who are acting, who are taking me to marches, taking me to movies, having conversations with me. So me personally, that would be what I would say that I'm doing actively in my personal life. I'm, I'm more dormant and latent on 
in terms of my digital space, I, I look at my digital space as being a place that I'm editorial. I don't go out for likes and, and hits and things like that. I, it's just whatever's on my mind. I'm just kind of editorial in my digital space. But I'm reading. I'm watching. <laughs> I would say I'm most impactful in terms of education. I sort of don't think I've had a super, super significant impact to the overall movement. And I'm trying to be okay with that because, you know, I'm only one person. And a lot of what I'm doing internally is educating myself. Uh, as I and I mentioned, this is like the first big movement as an adult that I've, I've had. So there's a lot of things that I'm re I'm learning and, and deconstructing within my own psyche. So my activism where I feel it's most impactful right now is spreading out all of the links. And I don't have a huge following on my social media or anything like that. I did kind of denounce certain people via Facebook. It was a bit dramatic, but that's okay because I stand by it. But I still feel it necessary to sort of point out these different, more creative ways you can be a digital activist. Specific, like I'm, I'm on TikTok, unfortunately. It's consumed my life. But there was this TikTok I, I came across of this young girl. I want to say her name is Alexis or Alicia. I can't remember at this moment in time, but I posted it on my Instagram. She had created an entire website that was basically built for 15-year-old me who had no idea where to start with Black Lives Matter movement. I knew that it was something I wanted to support, but I didn't have all the facts and I was I was in a bubble. So I didn't know what writing to uh, government officials looked like or donating looked like. I thought you had to have money in order to do something or you had to go to the protests in order to do something. And her website is pb-resources.com. It's really thorough. And it doesn't just cover the sort of male, black male-centered Black Lives Movement either. It covers the history of the Black Lives Movement, the inspiration behind it, all of these bail funds, Black trans lives matter movement information and resources. It's it's pretty great. So I, that's where I feel most empowered, I would say, with my with my digital activism. I don't know if I can say that it's it's made a super huge impact, but that I, I feel that's something I'm passionate about, just sharing these these sort of unseen resources to, to my audience. And could you repeat that side again? Yeah, P, B, P is in puppy, B is in Billy. Is, is it Billy? <laughs> PB-resources.com. And, and as a result of you, Anastasia, I went and signed up. And yeah. she does have an awesome site. And your impact is far reaching because you never know who is, you know, like you might not in your mind say, oh, I have a huge following, but it's like the quality of people that follow you. Like Amira is pushing things out. She does have a huge following. But as a result of that, I went and signed up and sent it out to um, all of the people that I know. Oh, that's great. See, yeah. So like, yeah, things like that sort of keep me going where I'm like, well, maybe I won't reach 50 people, but I'll reach that one Lisa. <laughs> Who's going to send it out to all the young people that she knows. <laughs> and then you'll find the next time she's at a seminar or something, she'll be like, well, have you heard of? Something? No, this is what I say in your absence. Well, you know, I work with this brilliant group and um, <laughs> Anastasia who shared this resource because I believe in giving credit where credit is due. So <laughs> trust me, 
you may not see that um, the reach that you have, you inside, you may not see it, but I'm out there tooting both of your horns. Oh, that's so funny. That's very, you're very appreciated, Lisa. I feel like for me, it's it's something I personally struggle with. Like you were saying, like becoming okay with not having the biggest impact. Because my primary function, I feel, is wanting to act as a role of an educator. I did study political science in college for a reason, so I figured I might as well use it at some point. <laughs> so doing stuff like this and figuring out resources, like best things to read, best information to share, checking resources, using my journalistic instincts and that sort of thing is, I feel like, what I can do in my small little corner. Yeah, and, and I, I am a firm believer in, I mean, if we're taking Black Lives Matter and we all um, in this current episode are Black, that just the simple act of trying to be Black and happy is such a beautiful form of activism because the, the capital T, they don't want you to be, you know, they want you to be tired and they want you to be so fed up and, and self-hateful that like, I tr I'm a firm believer in trying to make you as an existence and as a as an activist sustainable and happy and good is is a huge form of activism, huge part of it. I think both of you, maybe, you know, like I always say this, and I know y'all have heard a million times, if I could speak to my 25 or 24 year old self, and I speak to y'all every day. So I believe that what you're doing right now is super important to to the broader world. I think you may think it's small, but it's it's that ripple that my dad used to always say. It's It gets wider and wider and wider, and, and maybe you don't even see where the ripple goes. But one thing I can say about both of you is that the fact-checking and you know your awareness and then your education, you're in that education stage where you're fact-checking, you're in that empowerment stage where you're trying to figure out uh, what your impact is. Um, when I was your age and, or a little bit younger, cause I was in college at the time, you know, I went to an HBCU and I was experiencing a lot of the things that you're experiencing now. And we didn't have the internet to fact check. So we had to go to the library and read a lot of things about what happened before us. And so I was joining all these organizations. Like I was a member of the black nationalist group. I was a member of SNCC. I was a member of the NAACP and, and I was just trying to figure it out. But what that did for me is it laid a foundation of knowing and having accurate information so I could make informed decisions when I did get into a place where I could mentor a student. Because I started with mentoring one student, um, you know, like when I was in my 30s. And then I moved into having, you know, being in a classroom of students and, and having a platform so I think that what you're doing right now is exactly what you should be doing. And that is educating yourself and getting to that place of empowerment. And that is a hugely important part of the movement. It really is. I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want either of you to feel minimized. I think this is just so important. Oh, we love Lisa. Oh, I love y'all. <laughs> So that kind of brings me to my uh, final question. And it's, do you or do you not feel justified in calling yourself a digital activist and expand upon your answer? Like I said before, my 
activism in the digital space, I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. And on Snapchat and Twitter, I'm absolutely a you know person who just goes out there every now and then. I do no activism. On Facebook, because most of the people, I have about 850, which is a small number, 850 friends on Facebook, and they're mostly people I went to school with. I think my activism there is more about, they know who I am. They know me, they know my history. So it's more about educating in my, and I haven't done a lot of that in Facebook during this time because I've done so much of it in the past, but now um, I'm a lot more, I'm on IG or Instagram more. I'm not, I wouldn't, I would consider myself a latent or dormant activist because like I said, I post things that are editorial. What I get from Instagram is information where young people are thinking, what kinds of, of things um, are going on out there in the news um, and how it's being synthesized by the group of people that I care about. And, and as a result of that, I'm able to make decisions in my daily life that to me are more actionable. So I, I feel like I'm a digital activist in a very dormant way. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't post a lot other than things that are, you know, just something that I'm interested in or it's editorial about the movement. But I have watched my daughter. I watch what she does and she's very active. I did not expect this. She's very active. She's kind of like Anastasia and uh, in that she posts a lot of resources, but it's geared toward what her interests are, sports. And uh, right now she's educating her followers on what the WNBA, a lot of the, the players are not going to play because they want to be more prominent in activism. And so for me, I just kind of sit back and participate in a very... I think latent way, but I, I do believe it's important. So that's my answer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, main reason why I'm very active on all the social media and just based on my bubble, it's kind of clear that I'm in the, I'm at least having a lot of conversations around activism on social media and stuff. And like Lisa mentioned, I'm sharing a lot of resources. I'm talking to more people. And I'm also now at a point where I'm more willing to just say exactly what's on my mind about things <laughs> on Facebook, which is the dreaded social playground of my generation. So yeah, I would consider myself a, a digital activist just based off of what I'm doing, I guess. Yeah, for me, I actually would not consider myself a digital activist. I feel like I want to be doing more before I give myself that label. I'm not on social media like heck of a lot. <laughs> I'm very slow moving in how I approach things because I, for a while, I was in the process of just kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. And then once I went through that phase, I started doing more education and that sort of thing. Well, I, I could believe it was happening. I meant that in the sense of like, this is a lot going on. <laughs> but one day I feel like I can get there uh, where I would feel comfortable giving myself that label, just not right now. So I think we're in three different places. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's really interesting about our team. But I would like to say this, Sai, because you've done a wonderful job 
in pulling the content together. I would like to say this about the digital activism that I don't think I said. What I do enjoy about it is the intersection of people who are having conversations. That's number one. And number two, access that we have to, remember I told you about Web 1.0 where information was pushed. We called Web 2.0 in the late 90s and all the way to the mid 2000s. Before we called it social media, we called it Web 2.0 because you were able to communicate back and forth like with a newspaper or with a, a local reporter. But the access that we have to communicate with people that we typically would not be able to communicate with. Give you a very small example. I follow um, one of our tutors who graduated and she follows an actress who, I don't know what made me go follow this actress or go look at what she had to say. And I uh, commented on something that she said about knowing what to read and, and she wanted to know more and she acknowledged that she was a person of privilege, but yet, now what? And so when I looked at her followers, um, she even admitted that most of her followers looked like her and had the privilege that she had. And so I made a comment and she commented on my comment and we had a conversation and we even went in each other's DMs to talk about what it looked like to to be educated on what's going on in the world today. And I thought, you know, this would never have happened if I had if I had, had to sit down and write her a fan letter or a letter and put it in the mail and wait for her to respond. So for me, when I say, even when I'm talking about being dormant as an activist online, for me, I think the, the ability to have these conversations that we would not normally have with people who we not normally be in the space with. So, you know, that, that we talk about the celebrities and, and some of the things that they're thinking there are people who now are having conversations with you know, celebrities who they may never have had the conversation with, or they know where they stand politically. And I think that is, that's powerful. I mean, that's, that's power at your fingertips. So, so I think that's important to know. And also it amplifies the voices of the common person. So like the Gary Chambers person who went to the school board meeting to call out Connie um, that everybody has seen now and has gone viral. I don't think that Connie would have had the pressure to resign. I don't know if she has or not, but I don't think she would have had the pressure on her had he not posted that she was shopping while they were talking about changing the name of a school that brought a lot of pain to a particular community. So for me, even in, even in this digital space, no matter how you engage with it, it is absolutely powerful. And I think that's what brings me hope because our young people are, every time there's a tool for good, you can use it for bad, but I'm overwhelmingly seeing positive, positive spaces because of the intersection of conversations that are happening that might normally not have happened. And some of them are uncomfortable. And those are the, the uncomfortable conversations are the ones that get us to change. Yeah, and I also just wanted to add that I think that speaks a lot to, I think people in Sinai's position and age range and demographic tend to feel like anytime they do 
go and respond to, or they want to go and respond to somebody's post or some actress that they saw or something like that, they sort of feel like it's useless or that it's it's like screaming into the void, you know, and like it's not, <laughs> especially in the digital sphere. You know, take for example, Agnes, like Agnes knows about all of the Facebook groups and they really encourage students to speak their mind on all the Facebook groups. And so they pay attention to when students bring up a specific issue and and they're saying, this is something I care about. This is something I think is wrong. And, and they have conversations about it and they bring it back. Like, just because you feel like you'll never meet specific people in power in person doesn't mean that they aren't paying attention to your ideas, you know? Like, it's okay. It's okay to comment on an interview with your favorite actor in Vanity Fair and say, I don't think it was right that they said X, Y, Z. And I think it can be harmful to this movement or to this demographic that they have these opinions and they're spreading it. Because, you know, if they didn't see it, then somebody else who thought differently saw it. And then that starts a conversation. It's it's a, it's the ripple. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Now that we have the two-way conversation, it really does impact people in power and and their direction they're they're able to not assume that everybody agrees with them about everything but so yeah can you imagine if we did not have if we did not have the access to digital activism and, and the conversations could you imagine going through covid i mean just terror <laughs> just straight I'm just thinking we have two major movements. Like we have the movement of getting through a pandemic in a healthy way. And then we have a movement about marginalized communities, Black Lives Matter, and we have a digital platform. And so could, could you imagine if you were trying to do this with, without it? it I cannot imagine. I think that's why Angela Davis, like I said in, begin in the beginning, I think that's why she, having been a part of all these movements, she was able to say, this is different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, it still blows my mind every time I think about the fact that Angela, like there's a picture of Angela Davis, and I want to say Alabama, and she's like standing on top of a car in the middle of this crowd in Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, that's, that's Angela Davis. Yes. Three feet from Angela Date anyway. Yeah, she was my idol uh, in college. And that was my nickname because I cut off all my hair and had a fro and had big earrings and, you know, a slight gap in my teeth at that time. But the she was my idol and she was from Alabama or she is from Alabama and she knew the four girls who were bombed in the church. And she was just this one, like she was the Black Panther to me. So, <laughs> and to, to know that she's still alive and still fighting and still a revolutionary, you know, brings me joy. Speaking of Angela Davis, I'm, I plan on reading three of her books as part of the book club thing. So whenever that launches, I'll, I'll let them, well, some of the masses know I don't want any old person joining. But. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with me and dissect digital activism from an overhead view. Any final comments? Uh, contact your local government. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm surprised that Anastasia didn't say to post the digital activism best practices that she shared oh. from the CDVL because I I thought they were very reflective and very good. Thank you very much. Yes, follow follow the CDVL Instagram. We have not only links to like find out how to use digital tools, but also uh, different ways that you can be a digital activist in our little link tree and different ways that you can support the Black Lives Matter movement. After we shared our off-the-record goodbyes, Lisa, Anna, and I concluded our two-part conversation about digital activism. To our audience, I'd like to ask for you all to take some time to think about how you can utilize social media and other digital resources to elevate and contribute to causes important to you, whether that be fundraising, sharing reputable articles, or something else. Think about how you can make the world a better place, one small or big action at a time. If you have any questions or comments related to this episode or ideas for future episodes, feel free to visit our anchor.fm page. There, you can leave a voice message or click on the website link to leave a written response at the bottom of the page. Before we sign off for today, I'd like to thank Eve, who is the audio editor for this episode. We're on a bi-weekly release schedule, so stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks. 